Is consumer debt taking over your life? Let's figure out how to make that a thing of the past. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights. Just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the show. I am really happy to have Marcus Garrett, a fellow money nerd on the show today. He is the host of the popular show, Paychecks and Balances, an auditor. Yeah, I told you he was a money nerd. And he's an author. He's on the show today to discuss how to get rid of your consumer debt. Marcus will be the first one to tell you that making the decision and the mindset behind that decision is the most important step. He emphasizes the mental changes necessary for effectively handling your money and getting out of debt. In this episode, we're going to discuss actualizing your thinking about your budget, yeah, the B word, and getting it into a plan. We're going to talk about the mental roadblocks and doing what works for you to have an effective budget. And we're going to be discussing some budget types like the 50-30-20 rule. Before we jump into the show, I want to let you all know that we have some really positive responses around the free financial health assessments that are to be done on air, anonymous, of course. So if you want to participate, please go to financialresidency.com form and follow all the instructions on that form. I'm starting to record them now, and I'm hoping to have some of them out to you guys in the next month or so. Honestly, I'm not sure how many we're going to be able to do. So if you're interested, make sure you head over to that link, financialresidency.com slash form, and follow those instructions to get your free on-air financial assessment. All right, let's jump in and chat with Marcus. Marcus, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so thrilled to have you here and excited to jump into today's topic. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely, man. I know you don't like calling yourself an expert in finance, but you and, and Rich have a killer show with so much great content. I want to jump right in and talk about consumer debt. Lots of residents and early career physicians have some form of consumer debt, whether it was from interviews or just chronic overspending. We all know that it's bad, right? We can read on Google. We can listen to podcasts. Like We all know holding consumer debt is tough to get rid of and it's bad to carry but let's talk about the mindset around actually making the decision to get out of debt. And it's maybe a little bit difficult for some people. So for the benefit of the listening audience, I'm an auditor by nature, which jives really well with my personality. I am process oriented to a fault. Everything is logical. As we were talking about as a start to this show, I've got three checklists going just for this show right now. To run my life, I have 23 checklists going. I know because another interview just asked me about that recently. That's nothing to me. That is how I live my life. I thought everyone lived their life like that. And I was in my mid thirties before I realized that like, oh, I am quite literally quite possibly insane. And I'm trying to start to accept that I might just be like a few levels above uh, OCD. I think I'm gonna start shaking doorknobs pretty soon here. I say that to say, I still believe that the mentality behind making decision to get out of debt is the first step. 
I've seen that in practice. I've experienced that myself. Even when I give coaching and advice, I was talking to somebody recently in New York City. Uh, I've flown out there for another interview in, in relation to this, this debt story that we'll probably ultimately end up getting into. It's the most painful one for me, but you know, everyone else seems to love it. And they were telling me about how they kind of allocate their spending. And they were telling me that every month they transfer. This is not a familiar story, so I'm not talking poorly about this person if they do happen to listen to the show. Every month they transfer money from their savings account to their checking account every month. And I was like, well, it sounds like you have a misspending allocation. So you need to start ramping down and keeping money in your checking account and do it in the inverse. And I'm not trying to give you credibility and that, okay, now you need to start spending all your checking account, but you're misallocating. She was starting to pay fees in this case because she, she was transferring too much throughout the month. We went back and forth about three or four times and she couldn't get it. I go, okay, let, let's take a step back. Like this is a mental change you need to make. It's not a financial change. Quite literally through math, you might have too much money that you are allocating into her savings account because literally the evidence is proving that you are transferring it over to the checking account. You need to make a financial difference, but really a mental change in how you're handling your money. And then when you make that mental change, you can see, okay, where is it lining up? Does it need to come down 40%, 20%, 60%? I don't know that. That's not a budgetary decision. That's something you can experience over time. But that is a mental change in your approach to money. And I feel like a lot of people need to start there. And it's difficult because most people are like, well, I'm conscious about my money. Uh, my favorite excuse is, I have a budget. I have mint. I'm like, when's the last time you looked at it? And they're like, well, you know, it was 2016 when I downloaded it. <laughs> I'm like, it's 2019. Like you, you have a paperweight that has a mint budgeting app on it. If you're not looking at it from month to month and more importantly, using it to make informed decisions about how you're spending your money, that's not a budget. You have a budget tracker. You have an app that tracks your money. But if you ignore it, you don't have a budget. You don't have a plan. And I think most people need to actualize their thinking into a plan. And that's easy for me to say as an auditor, but I think that will resonate with your audience as well from that logical standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go further into your money nerdness and talk mm -hmm. about how maybe an auditor would see something, <laughs> but let's say they aren't process-minded like you, and this okay. is a big mental roadblock, and they might be the ones that said, yeah, I have Mint, and it hasn't been used since 2016, <laughs> right? Right. Um, you know, or one of my favorites here is Tiller, you know, okay. using them, but I haven't logged in in three, you know, three months. Well, <laughs> clearly that doesn't help you. So right. how would one that isn't process driven, how can we help them make that mindset change to get into the, I need to pay down debt and I need to pay attention to my money? Well, I tell folks that the best plan is the plan that works. So 23 checklists, three checklists for this show that works for me because it's my natural inclination. So rather than try to find this perfect be-all system, I've actually over the years evolved a number of different systems where I cherry pick and choose. I see systems and processes and tools as a buffet of options. And I'm like, okay, this looks good. This tastes good. This works for me. But if something's painful and disgusting, it doesn't work. I put it back out there and I don't care how good or great you say it is. If that's not a system that works for me, then I'm not going to use it. To be fair, I'll lay out some of those systems. So when I was getting out of debt, I had a much more rigorous system in place. So I put myself on a 50-30-20 budget. Now, mind you, at the time, 
I didn't call it a 50, 30, 20 budget. That is kind of the benefit that you get when you kind of step into the, this personal finance community. And now you can come up with all these fancy terms that you call these things. So let, let's tell them what a 50, 30, 20 budget is. Cause most people are like, what is he talking about right now? Well, that's going to be 50% for needs, 30% for wants, and then 20% for something responsible. And in this particular instance, it would be paying down your debt. That's a real clear cut breakdown. But of course, the obvious question is going to be, well, what's a need and a want? And my response to that is, it depends. All these things are arbitrary. Like you define these boundaries and borders. But the reason I like to be more specific and pragmatic, especially for people who are starting out, is because they come up with those exact excuses and they're like, well, everything's a need. So, you know, obviously I need the Corvette and I need the boat and I need the <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 no. That, that, that's not how this works. So as I evolved over time and I was able to rein my spending because we talk a lot about this on the show is, you know, similar to introverts and extroverts. We think there's spenders, there's natural spenders and natural savers. And that's a real starting point that you need to have for yourself. If you're a household that you need to have with your spouse or your, your partner is, you know, what is your natural inkling and personality? So when I say that is, when are you most happy? Are you most happy seeing your investments go up when the stock market goes up or reading the Wall Street Journal? Are you happy like making it rain with your friends and popping bottles, you know, in the sun? Like, I'm not here to judge, but... You need to know that about yourself if you're ever going to design a system around what's going to rein you in. And I think you can relate to this as a financial planner. Sometimes you can't rein yourself in. And that's something you need to know for yourself as well. When I started to get out of debt, I'm so obsessively compulsive and singularly focused. It was all I was interested in. Like it drove my life really for a seven year period and three years when I really realize, okay, this plan works. I tell people to see the power of zero. I think the first one I paid off was my student loan. I had a small student loan of about 3000 because I was fortunate enough to have school covered between some funding and some things that they have in the state of Texas about public schools. When I saw that at zero and I had to put my plan in place, I had made the decision to get out of debt at age 27. Interestingly enough, I graduated at 22. So it took me five years to figure out, you know, I should put a budget together. I have like this four year curve. I had the same thing when I was in my senior year in college. I was like, you know what? Hey, guys, if you start studying, your grades improve, man. I've like discovered this thing man. I read the books assigned to me in class. and My grades went up. I just have this late curve. So I'm four years into real life or five years in this particular case. And I'm like, hey, you know, a budget helps me rein in my spending. It helps me know where my money's going. Like I started championing it from the streets. I'm like a budget. <laughs> and the people are like, Yeah, that's what everybody does. But whatever the process is going to be, you need to find one that, frankly, uh, maybe it inspires you or maybe it motivates you. But if it doesn't, it doesn't have to. Um, I like how people try to change the terms instead of calling it a budget, they call it a spending plan. It frees you to spend your money, you know, whatever you need to do to help yourself sleep better at night. I don't really care what you call it. But you do need to have a grasp on where your money is going, why your money is going there. And also just from a personal or a personality, why you spend or don't save, if that's a problem that you have, the way that you are. That's a very personal discussion you have. It can be with upbringing. It could be what, what motivates you. It could be what makes you excite you. Like some people like having material things, which a lot of consumer debt tends to be in most circumstances. That's fine. It's to coming to peace with that. But what I tell people is you can't stop there. 
a lot of people, if they ever get to the point where they even take an honest analysis of how much debt they have, they stop there because it's scary. It's intimidating. It's uncomfortable. They don't really know what to do next. It looks like it'll never end depending where they are on that debt journey. And again, I still think it's, yes, you make that mental change. So let's say you want to make that conscious decision to make a change. That's not enough. So that's why quickly I say next one is then setting a goal. And so a goal is measurable. And I'm not going to get into smart goals or anything like that, because I think that's been driven into the dirt. And I kind of think it's a little bit annoying. I don't really like uh, cliche acronyms, although the smart system works if that works for you. But you can't stop at the goal. So when I graduated at 22, at that time, I only had about $9,000 in debt. And I arbitrarily said, I want to be debt free at 25. Because to me, just 25 might as well have been elderly. I was like, you know, I just want to be out of debt at 25. It sounded good. It's a nice round numbers because I'm almost near OCD. I like round numbers. I'm like two five. That's a good time to be out of debt. And I might as well said I want to ride a unicorn into the sunset because I didn't do anything more than make this declaration into the sky that I want to be debt free. And so that third step is to put a plan together, whether it's 25, whether it's five years, whether you want to pay off 50 percent or you want to pay off 30 percent. Okay, then what does that look like? Let's put some numbers to that. The tool that I'd used in college, I still like now. My first tool was Bankrate. They're still around. <laughs> They're apparently older than me. And then they have some great tools. Uh, they have a number of debt calculators. And I went there. And at that time, I mean, obviously, I haven't had to use them in a while now. I was able to not only put a plan together. I, well, I'm so old, I printed it out in PDF. <laughs> and then I put it over into Excel. And I had a month-to-month plan of what it truly looked like to the exact dollar amount I'd have to pay each month to get out of debt. And that's how you do it. It's not enough to say I want to be debt-free. It's not enough to say that I want to do it by 25 or 35 or 40. Those are all nice declarations, but you got to go a little bit further than that. Yeah, I love it. And coming back to like, you need to have a plan. It's nice to say I've got this goal, but then if they just sit there and you don't do anything, right? Like you basically just wasted some time thinking of pie in the sky and then just let it sit there and kind of rot, whether it's digitally or on your desk, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and what I like now, and I could say that almost because I think I'm old enough to say back in my day, is everything could be automated now. Pretty much the way my plan and finances are set up now. By the third or fifth, approximately, so I get paid once a month at the particular job that I'm at, and I'm trying to multiply my income streams like anybody else. I know exactly how much is coming in. By the third or fourth, I know exactly what's going out. And I mean all the way down to the IRA is funded um, for the particular entity that I have. uh, We have a pension fund, so 9% comes out there. I put the rest towards a 401k. Uh, At this time, it's 10%. I'm trying to get it up to 18% because I know it's $843 that I need to save each month to get to the specific goal that I have for my 401k. I know that because I use another tool that I like now. It's uh, through the federal government. It's free. Nobody knows about it because, of course, federal government doesn't publicize anything, but it's an awesome tool. It's investor.gov. You can go there. They have a savings calculator and they also have a compound interest calculator. So you can plug in, this is my savings goal in one year, two year, a thousand years. They don't care. You can put in the variance. I'm thinking that I can get a 5% return, but I'd like to see what would happen if it went all the way up to 10%. And it will spit out the exact amount of money that you need to save each month to hit that goal. That's what I'm talking about is specific defined plans where you can't have this excuse. Well, I I have a budget on my phone. I I downloaded Tiller. I downloaded Mint. Cool. 
and, and tell me the numbers. Okay, tell me the numbers. You've got all these great tools. And they're like, I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't looked at it. I, I turned off the text alerts because <laughs> it was always telling me I'm over budget. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I don't think you have a budget then, my friend. Seven, so taking, seven taking days into the month, you've overspent. You're like, oh, <laughs> exactly. and ignore. Yeah. And actually, to that point, I did write a piece that did pretty well. got picked up by Yahoo Finance. And it was, you're probably using Mint wrong. And most people, to your exact point, once you download Mint, and I used Mint for at least five years before I even thought to do this. If you don't set up your budget, it does that. Uh, it runs an algorithm to see where it thinks your budget should be. But that's arbitrary. That's why most I, I hear a lot of people say that Mint's not useful. I got to respectfully disagree with that because if it's not useful, it's because you set it up incorrectly. I mean, for, to be frank, you can go in and set the goals. So Mint tells me right now if I'm $1 over my insurance, for example, because I know exactly how much my insurance is going to be each month. I went in there and set it to it's, it's $90. I went in there and set it to 91 <laughs> To give you a real life example, it went up by $6 and I was I was ticked. <laughs> and I would have never otherwise noticed that because, you know, it's $6. And I've talked about this on the show. Now, a lot of people are going to hear that and go, well, it depends on their personality type. It's $6, but it's my $6. I don't like being nickeled and dined by these multi-billion dollar entities. Like, and so I've, I'm fighting over this $6 over principle. The bigger point being is how else would you have ever noticed that? Most people are just getting, you know, it's, it's the money just disappears. They just, they have more month at the end of the money and they never really know why. But you can set Mint up where, first of all, it has automatic alerts will tell you if you're getting um, charges from your credit card company and things like that. But if you set your budget up correctly for the categories, I set them up for all, but set them up for the categories that are important to you, your your car payment, your mortgage, so that you can see when something is a dollar off or probably the more likely scenario, you'll see when you have spent gravely over your budget. But that doesn't matter if you haven't set your budgeting parameters what parameters do you want to stay within? And that's, to me, how you better use Mint yeah. or any budgeting tool. <clears throat> yeah, I, I love that. And it, it could be any budgeting tool. And it, we're not paid by Mint, anyone listening. <laughs> like, uh, this is but, not yeah. the, the direction of how that goes. Oh, are you paid by Mint? I No, I appreciate you saying that because we had a, a financial planner on the show, uh, Rianca Dorseville, and she swears by you need a budget. Why nap? So yeah, everyone loves why nap. Listen to the yeah. She she and I think it's because it's more. Of course, she's a financial planner, but it's more detailed and it, it's a zero based budgeting tool. So you have to account for every dollar. I specifically like Mint because it it allows me to have wider parameters. And because what I was going to talk about is now I'm more of an eighty percent, eighty twenty budget. Actually, David Bach has talked about this. I did I did not make this up on my own, but that's the author of an Automatic Millionaire. He said that. Most people who are financially, I wouldn't even say well off, just financially okay, which is actually a pretty low threshold. Uh, they've done a lot of analysis on it. It's a little bit over $30,000. Like most people can have, you know, it's the Maslow's Law. You can have a roof over your head, satisfies all your basic needs at about 30000 Once you get about there, you can start to loosen the, sh the constraints, if you will. He said that you just need to do responsible things with the 20%. In his particular instance, he was saying that 20% should be invested. You should be making responsible um, investments with 20% because if nothing else happened for the average, even I think he said median household income, you would automatically become a millionaire. You would have to do nothing else in your life other than I, I think you have to have like a 7 to 10% return and you would automatically become a millionaire simply by saving 20%. I think he tapped into something that a lot of people are recognizing now. If everyone was good at math, 
we wouldn't need credit cards and we wouldn't need budgets and we wouldn't need all these parameters and apps and tools. But most people aren't. Most people are emotionally driven and we have good months and bad months. But you can divorce yourself from that by simply strategically managing at least 20 percent. And then the 80 percent, you know what? Go out and I say you can put it in the pile of the leaves along with your brush fire. And (laughs) it doesn't matter because you've taken care of all the responsible things. And I, I think a lot of people, they see a budget as a punishment. And that's one way to kind of break out of that mold. Yeah, I actually call it on the show, like paying yourself first. And yes. for physicians and their families, I tend to say 25% of take-home pay because you get such a late start to oh, investing, okay. right? You finished at 22, right? At, right. At, from, from undergrad. And most physicians have at least eight more years of kind of getting through things before they can do it. So that makes a lot of sense. Or, or close to eight, seven, eight, whatever it is. So I hear it all too often. When I talk about the average physician family, I say somewhere in the two fifty to three hundred thousand dollar range in terms of household income as an attending. But I hear it like, you know, we've got a hundred or hundred and fifty thousand of consumer debt. Now for the average American, they're going, What? That isn't even possible. But I see it a lot. You know, and this isn't even including the student debt. And I don't even want to get into that kind of whole mess. But they know what they need to do and they really just can't make the change. And they maybe have all sorts of excuses. When you look at the math, the minimum payments on that amount of consumer debt, because you know the interest rates are sky high, it eats up such a large portion of now their take-home pay that they feel like they can't turn it around. I know you just had a course launch and you have a book, which I I liked, Debt Free or Die Trying. You mentioned that there was a couple principles in becoming debt-free. And I really want to just make sure we talk about that on the show because I think that was really important. So in the book, uh, there was three principles. Uh, we kind of hit on one here, so I won't beat people over the head. But and that first principle was is 75% of his mental. And I, I felt like we did a fairly deep dive on that going into the show. But I still truly believe that. And so in the book, I have a chapter that I talk about is rock bottom. And for me, I must have been near 26 around that time because I, I, my marker is I moved to Denver at age 27. That's really when I kind of you know, got my life together. <laughs> That's when the, the happy music changes like, dun, 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 dun. you know, he turns it around. He's the narrator here. comes in. Yeah, exactly. He rose to the Rocky Mountains. And, you know, that's that's when it, the, I would have had that life change. And the second step is it doesn't look cool. I just had to step it down and really make a not only a financial change, but a value system change in what I thought I was important in my life. When I hit rock bottom, I was begging for what at that time was my second consolidation loan. I was working three jobs and I was barely making the minimum payments. I was struggling to make the minimum payments. And now, of course, I can look back in hindsight and I was probably at that point where you spiral into bankruptcy because I literally didn't have any hours left. I was working three jobs. There was no more hours in the day. The finances were in disarray and it would have spiraled out of control there. But for this phone call, but I was on this call, it still upsets me to the day more on a principle like it's just some kid in a call center, sounded like some kid in a call center, and he controlled my entire financial future. I'm like, if he doesn't give me this loan, I don't know how I'm going to make and, and loans weren't coming in like this anymore. Like when I first came out of school, I was getting them, you know, they, I, they, I was my mailbox was stuffed. 
And by the time that last consolidation loan came in, like I was searching the mailbox. I'm like, hey, like, where, where is it? Like, I'm, I'm not getting these loan offers. I need them. You know, I need it. I need my next financial fix. He was asking basic questions like, you know, sir, what's your credit score? And I was like, I, I don't I don't know. I'd never pulled my credit score in my life. OK, well, how much is your financial outlay? How much are you paying each month in minimum payments? I was like, I, I why are you asking me this stuff? Just just give me some money, man. And I was like, I, I don't know. And I just noticed that every question was, I don't know. I don't know. More painfully than that was he did know. And he was like, well, your credit score, I think it was in the high 600, might have been the low 700s. Yeah, it looks like your financial outlay. And I hear that painful clicking sound in the background. Uh, well, it looks like your minimum payments are around, um, you know, so let's say $500. It hurt. It hurt. And like I was having this what sound like a stuck up kid, like dictate my financial life to me. And he's like, you know, we're, we're going to put you on hold. He came back with an offer that actually wasn't particularly good. And I was like, well, you know, can I talk to a manager or anything like that? And he's basically like, no, I think fundamentally, or maybe, you know, I was in my emotions, like he knew that I was going to have to take that offer because he had all the facts and figures on his side and I had no information on my side. Well, I mean, what was the choice? I took that offer, but I knew like, I would never put myself in that financial position again. I tell that story because nothing changed about how much money I make. I actually quit one of the jobs, but I was more focused than I had ever been. And I didn't know anything about getting out of debt. I had to teach myself everything that I talk about now. And that's when I started with the bank rate and the Excel spreadsheet, which people think is so antiquated now. Like, first of all, there was no other option. There weren't all these apps and smartphones at the time. I think I had a Nokia 5100 at the time. Not even sure the iPhone was out because, you know, I'm a senior millennial. I'm elderly practically now. Dinosaur as far as the Internet is concerned. But I'm like just, just a little younger than you. And I'm like <laughs> almost offended, but I'm kind of getting a kick out of it. So keep going. <laughs> well, I was like. I got to turn it around and it's all on me and my shoulders to do so. I'm pretty humble, but I'm a prideful guy. And like, I, I, that was just like the worst. I'd never felt so hopeless before. Like I said, nothing changed financially. I didn't make any more money. The only difference was I was made this mental change and then I put a plan together. And so that's why the third principle is failure is an option. And most people think, and the mantra is, you know, it's not an option. You know, you can't fail. If anything, I actually talked to and now I have the benefit of talking to people financially uh, more astute than myself. So I'm talking to all these millionaires. And one that really resonated with me is he was giving a speech. and He said, not only should you fail, you should fail quickly so you can get to the lesson learning <laughs> portion of the discussion in the life cycle. And most people spend so long, like you said, paralyzed in an analysis of not failing they never make progress. They never take the chance. And I would say in this particular circumstance, now I can't even do the math for the amount that you're talking about, but the average consumer, so the average uh, credit card is about 15% and rates are going up. So I assume it's 17 to 18% now. The average consumer was paying, I think they said with that rate, because household debt is around 15,000, it would be 1,500 a month and just interest. I don't think people wrap their head around that. That's why it's good to have a tool like Mint where it will tell you every month, hey, just so you know, $1,500 in interest went out the door. Not the principal, not the outstanding payment. You were just paying MasterCard and Visa $1,500. Like You just padded their profit line. Thank you. you know. And that's the exact customer they want you to be. I was 
the best worst credit card customer they could have dreamed of. Like if they could have written up an avatar in a conference room, I made every payment throughout that journey. I was so prideful. I never missed a payment. In fact, I'd rather work three jobs than miss a payment, you know, for people wondering those three jobs. So if you have a computer that doesn't work now or it broke down and it was Dell, that might've been me. Cause I worked in a warehouse out here in Austin, Texas, putting computers together and I hated it. <laughs> And I wasn't particularly good at it, but it paid like 15 to $16 for contract work. I would get off work there. And then on the weekends, I would go work at a, a hotel chain at, uh, I would work night shift at a hotel chain. And then I would turn and mess up my cardiac rhythm and go to my nine to five. And I was pulling in, even at three jobs, pulling in like 70,000 that year. And a lot of people externally thought I had made it like Marcus. Look, I mean, he's out there working all these jobs. He's a college graduate. You know, I had a newer car. Uh, I had a car that I had bought. It wasn't particularly new. It looked new on the outside because I put all this crap on it. You know, like people thought I was doing it. And I was like in the worst place I'd ever been in my life. And so I have updated that with the course, uh, the debt for your die trying course that we have at Paychecks and Balances. And for those interested, I'll hit this at the end as well. It's paychecksandbalances.com slash debt-free. That's where we have all of our debt-free materials. I've basically stratified that, if you will, to a simple four-step plan. So I, I got out of debt at age 30, and I wrote the book at like 30 to 33, if you will. A lot of the feedback I got, the same thing I hear about Dave Ramsey, same thing I hear about any insight. And you've probably heard this as well. It's funny how significant financial and money management is to people's life. It literally controls the entire 78 average year lifespan in which they will live all the way from like zero from when they are a child and how their parents manage money. And I consistently hear I want it to be easy and uh, I only want to spend a few minutes on it. <laughs> so I had written this complicated analysis. And so I just distilled it down to four steps and I use debt as a simple acronym. This is going to sound repetitive because it does bear some of the previous steps, but it's define the problem. For me, that was annualcreditreport.com, although at this point, credit reports are everywhere. They're almost ubiquitous, but you can get your free federally guaranteed credit report from annualcreditreport.com. That is federally guaranteed. You can get it from each of the three major bureaus. E is establish your goal. We talked a little bit about how to do that. For me, it's find a reliable debt calculator. Like you said, I'm not sponsored by anyone, so I don't care who you use. The one that worked for me was Bankrate, and they still, in my opinion, have some of the best, most thorough calculators out there. A lot of people have debt calculators, but they're a little bit simplistic compared to what I, I see at Bankrate. Budget for success or establish a budget. In the beginning, I tend to recommend a 50-30-20 or something with strict, defined parameters. More than likely, I don't know the percentage, but if you're in debt, you got to rein it in. Like you've clearly already demonstrated that you can't live within the budget. And I'm not going to get into the validity of why, because especially as an auditor, I pretty much coach people. I've been arguing all my life, all my life I had to fight. There are valid excuses and there are invalid excuses, but they are both excuses. And so, you know what, whatever camp or group you fall into, it's still an excuse. So figure out a plan that's going to work for you. And then the last one is simple. It's trust the process. Our time will pass on its own. I've gone back and forth on that. <laughs> and that's why failure is an option. Uh, you can change the goal, but never the plan. And that is to ultimately be debt-free. That's awesome. I love it. And I want people to, to go check it out. What was the, the link again? Paychecksandbalances.com. That's our website. And then if you go to slash debt-free, that'll get you right there to all of our debt-free tools. Perfect. So at the end of the show here, I'd like to ask one question to the expert that I'm bringing on. You guys have talked about 
on the show. You've talked about it in your book. You've seen it in the course, lifestyle deflation. And that's really the other side of the coin that I talk about when I look at new attendings coming out and we're talking about like lifestyle inflation and how they just kind of let it go rampant with their spending. And I want Teslas and big cars and all these things along with student debt coming up that they maybe don't necessarily think about as much or actually like put some numbers to. I know like when I'm talking to clients that have a debt problem, we discuss deflating their lifestyle. I'm curious because I know what I do and I'm curious, do you have any thoughts or tips on how if a physician family maybe has a hundred K of debt and 300 income and like how I talked about before, do you have any thoughts or tips on how they could do this without feeling so much pain? I'd say I'm going to have to go with yes and no. So my yes answer would be, I still love automation. So that's one way that I remove some of the pain for First of all, I don't have a choice. All that money is gone by the third, all the responsible activities are funded. Because I know left to my own devices. I, so to answer the comment that I made myself from earlier about spenders and, and saver, I'm a natural spender. My natural inclination, I'll give another example, is I was talking to what I assume is a younger individual. And he's like, well, how did you learn to control your spending? I haven't learned to control anything. Part of it is I don't go out as much. So that in itself has kind of helped me. I just I I just got older. I just ran into the correlation of old age and maturity and I just got lucky. I was talking to him about this and you would have thought I was describing ancient aliens like it looked so foreign in his eyes like you don't go out (laughs) like he couldn't even grasp the idea of not going out and partying. But more importantly, I think people need to understand the inflation dynamic so they can understand what deflation looks like. And so that's the no piece. And the no is it sucks. I mean, budgeting for me sucks because it fundamentally goes against my personality. It's like a diet. It's like anything that constrains you. It sucks. But for me, that mentally helps because it helps me manage my expectations like, okay, this is going to suck. So I don't need to make peace with it not sucking. I just need to find a way for to make it suck less. Because most people, like you said, or you said through the math, they want to spend all of their money. But spending all of your money is nothing but a recipe for one being on the, the rat race or the cycle of always being financially dependent and in this particular instance in debt. So for my scenario, my lifestyle inflation, and we talked about this on the show as well, is for no reason whatsoever, I just felt that I deserve these things. Or maybe that's the reason. Like I, I've, I've gotten to the point where I deserve these things. So I got this two-bedroom apartment. So whatever, it doesn't really matter. It's just I tell people to apply your scenario and you can follow mine as an example. It's a case study, if you will. I had convinced myself that I would like have somebody come stay in my crappy apartment when there's plenty of five or four-star hotels that I could put them in for one month, cheaper than the amount of extra rent I was paying just to have. And no one ever came. <laughs> and so I'm in the city of Denver. Uh, in this particular case, it was $3,600 more. So I lost $3,000 a year because I was looking for some mysterious guest who never came. I was eating out all the time. For me, I haven't had cable now, which at the time was groundbreaking, but everybody's like cord cutting now. Yeah, it's have, a lot easier now. Yeah, I haven't had cable for like seven years. And I remember, you know, when everyone had cable, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to cut it off and just see what happens. One thing I have noticed is the same way you can inflate, you can deflate because you'd be surprised what you get used to. A speaker that I um, talked to said one thing he likes to do is, you know, raise your hand if you make 
you know, the, the median around $50,000. He actually, he has everybody raise your hand. It's put your hand down if you make $50,000 and you think you make enough money. 70, 80, 90, 100, until there's one person left with their hand in the air because everyone always thinks that they make too little money. And it's not a money thing. Even if it is a money thing, because some people are going to say it is a money thing, because when you don't make more money, and I, I mean that on a percentage basis, it doesn't matter if it's 25000 or 250000 if you always think until you have more money that you need more money. And then when you get that amount of whatever that money was, you thought, because when I made 20000 I thought I needed fifty. <laughs> I guarantee you, I, I managed to spend fifty, just like I managed to spend a hundred. Like I always managed to spend. I, I, I'm very clever at finding ways to spend it, and it's it's never enough in that dollar amount, and you'll always be chasing that dragon, so to speak. The saving grace that I will tell people is, even if you did the math on that scenario, I graduated at 22. I half the plan that <laughs> really wasn't a plan until 25. I put a real plan together at 27 and then I got out of debt in three years. And so you can take that story and said, hey, if I buckled down, you've already spent, like you said, in your scenario, what, 12 years in school in some component or capacity. Now, imagine if you just buckled down for three more of those years and you'd be debt free. I think people think it's forever, even though they've never done the math behind it. Or like I said earlier, okay. I want it to be debt free, but maybe you just want to knock down the interest rate that you're paying or maybe you want it to be at half. Maybe your allocation is just too much. How do you get it down to 50 percent or 60 percent or 40 percent? Because, again, I think the plan that works is the best plan. I'm not that guy that preaches everyone out here has to be debt free. That makes sense to me. That makes mathematical sense to me. But if you're able to allocate your credit score is now 750 or 800 and you're paying one my car now is 1.9%. Why would I harass that person into paying off their debt early? They've got a great interest rate. Yes, they're still paying interest, but if you can afford it, you know, where to tea paying if you got it ain't tricking if you got it. Like, hey, it's your money at the end of the day. Some of the best advice I got was actually some college kid. <laughs> and he's like, if you didn't help me make it, don't tell me how to spend it. It's my money at the end of the day. It's your money at the end of the day. These are just different ways in which you can maybe better manage it. And I tell people, okay, are you happy with how you're managing your money? And if the answer to that is no, then okay, what's the plan then to make it to a point where you're happy managing your money or living within your means, even if that means going all the way to debt free? And then wrap your head around that, what that looks like, because a lot of people think that it's forever. And if you're purposeful about it, it might be three years and it might be five years. And depending where people fall on the age scale, three years and five years sounds like forever. But when I hear three years, I'm like, that's right around the corner. Like I'm at the point, uh, and this was a few years ago now. It used to be like, like I said, when I graduated college, I'm like, I'm going to get it out of debt at 25 because 25 is old. But now somebody says like, you know, retirement. And I'm like, man, that's that's right around the corner, man. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking about retirement now. I'm 36, folks, for the people who are trying to put this context together to all my stories. But that's how I think now, because I remember when I was in college, this is taking forever. This is never going to end. And now I can barely remember college. It's just a blip on the radar. You know, whatever your time frame may be or your reference may be you know, your your children or school or whatever it is, you know, you, you know, allocate that time where you thought it would be forever. And then in the blink of the eye, it was four years 
or eight years or somebody's celebrating a one year or two year anniversary or your kids are going to elementary school. You know, whatever it is, you know, days go slow, but years go fast. And if you automate these plans, the day will go slow, but the year will go fast and it will take care of itself. Yeah, that's that's excellent advice. And and everyone listening, you know, he, he said three years goes by fast, right? And where have we heard, you know, live like a resident, do a financial fellowship, right? Live like maybe you are a resident for three more years. And if you haven't, you know, if, if you left training, you let your lifestyle increase, it's going to be hard to go back to that. And we're not saying to go back to it. Everyone's unique, but put an action plan, a plan in action and take control over that. We also learned that Marcus is a, not a natural saver, I guess. Right. So, <laughs> so we're on the, we're on the spending side of it and it looks like you were able to rein yourself in, which is good. So Marcus, for the few people that are listening that, that haven't heard your show and, and know what's going on with you guys at Paychecks and Balances, tell them what's going on for 2019. I'm going to hit one more thing and I'll be happy to answer that. And I appreciate you for having me on the show is you asked how can you either be more purposeful or make it suck less. I think suck was my term. So three categories, home, transportation, and food tend to be the average 70% of a household budget. So you can do a focused target on one of those. Instead of sacrificing everything, I think some people feel like it's a universal sacrifice. Maybe it's the car for that three-year period. Or maybe it's the, I'm not going to say not the home, but maybe it's just not as nice of a home for that three-year period. Just really recognizing it's not forever. You can literally have the evidence if you put a plan behind it. You can get the exact year. And then you can ask yourself, is it worth this sacrifice for 36 months so that I can ultimately be debt free for 50 years or 40 years or whatever the case may be, 60 years, you know, depending on how early you do it. So I, I really want people to I, I'm hoping that that resonates is it's it's not forever. Like it's one of those things that you can get done and you can put it behind you and then you can go back to living your life. And in fact, one of the beauties of it is after you put it behind you, you can ball out like, yeah, hey, go, go, go make it rain. Go buy the Tesla. Go. Go live, go, go enjoy the money. Right now, you're not enjoying the money. You know, it's stretched thin because of the valid and the invalid excuses. But to answer your question, the show is Paychecks and Balances, where we help millennials make money, save money, and get out of debt. The kind of the motto was we help you raise your paychecks and lower your balances. We've been around now for three years. We've been featured in iTunes. We just reached a million downloads. Um, you had also plugged the book and now the course that's uh, Debt Free or Die Trying, How I Buried Myself in $30,000 in Debt and Dug My Way Out. All of that information is available at paychecksandbalances.com slash debt free. And for 2019, we want to, our motto has been the same from the beginning, help people and reach more people. Beautiful. Well, you know, I appreciate you being on and uh, tell Rich hello. Excited <laughs> to have you here. His introverted self couldn't, couldn't join us here, but... Uh, excited and thrilled to, to be talking with you and it's an honor to have you on the show uh, thanks so much for being here thank you in our journal club we're going to be discussing an article that was posted on the site thefrugalphysician.com titled how to pay off student loans fast in it the author discusses the 10 key factors that helped the frugal physician pay off a lot of student debt in one year. And we're talking $155,000 in 12 months. Also, a little bit of a heads up, she's actually going to be on the show in a few weeks, and we had a blast recording that show. I think you guys are going to love it. All right, back to her post. So I quote, 
I refinanced my student loans with SoFi on January 21st, 2018. The balance was about 208000 and 12 months later, her principal is down to about $58,000. Including interest, we've paid more than $155,000 towards the loans in the last year. What I really like about this article is it was so easy to read and understand. In other words, it was basically the exact opposite of the Fed Loan Servicing website. So the formatting kind of invited me to spend some time with the content, and I thought it was super helpful. So the frugal physician discussed the accrued interest, and it's something that you're probably not easily aware of. And I, I kind of think like, why aren't you more aware of it? Well, because according to the frugal physician, the information was not visible anywhere on the Fed Loan site. And side note, it is visible. It's just not easily accessible at all because Fed Loan is pretty much terrible. The frugal physician talked about the difference in interest rates. She refinanced her loans with SoFi at 3.875%, which is a really good rate. Compared to that, her Fed loan interest rates on her federal loans was around 6 to 7%, and you've got yourself a deal. It makes a lot of sense there, as long as you're not going for PSLF. She also points out there was a difference between I'm on a budget and I have a budget for that. And as a matter of comfort, the frugal physician assures us that being frugal doesn't mean you have to deprive yourself. And I like that. And we talk a lot about that on our show coming up. In my experience, I see everyone who has student debt struggling to figure out how to pay it off. Honestly, it isn't a straightforward procedure. There are many loopholes for the government I feel like to stick us. It's far more complicated than it ever should be. So for someone who's not an expert, it feels almost like an impossible task, but it doesn't need to be. I created a killer resource for all of you guys to learn more about your student debt. It's free over at financialresidency.com slash student loan guide. That's all one word. And in it, you're going to learn how to figure out what your loans actually are, what loans you have, all the different repayment types, and a ton more info. So go check it out, financialresidency.com slash student loan guide. That's all one word. Frugal Physician, thanks so much for the great post. I'll link to it in the show notes, and I can't wait for y'all to hear the show that we have together that's going to air in a few weeks. That was such a great episode. I hope you guys enjoyed the Journal Club, but especially the interview that I had with Marcus. Here are the five takeaways from the show. Takeaway number one, Marcus talked about the decision to get out of debt and the mindset needed before getting serious about starting that sometimes challenging journey and the need for a plan. I had a month to month plan of what it truly looked like to the exact dollar amount I'd have to pay each month to get out of debt. And that's how you do it. It's not enough to say I want to be debt free. It's not enough to say that I want to do it by 25 or 35 or 40. Those are all nice declarations, but you got to go a little bit further than that. Takeaway number two, he talked to us about the 50-30-20 budget. That's 50% for needs, 30% for wants, and 20% for either paying down debt or something equally responsible. Well, that's going to be 50% for needs, 30% for wants, and then 20% for something responsible. And in this particular instance, it would be paying down your debt. Takeaway number three. We discuss knowing where your money is going and knowing why it's going there. Another topic that you need to examine is why you spend or save the way that you do. And this is the behavioral piece of the puzzle. And a discussion of finances is never complete unless you talk about your goals. 
you do need to have a grasp on where your money is going, why your money is going there. And also just from a personal or personality, why you spend or don't save, if that's a problem that you have, the way that you are. Takeaway number four, Marcus went into detail about the automation and how it helps remove some of the pain in budgeting. Everything can be automated now. Pretty much the way my plan and finances are set up now, by the third or fifth approximately, so I get paid once a month at the particular job that I'm at, I know exactly how much is coming in. By the third or fourth, I know exactly what's going out. And our last takeaway, takeaway number five, he stressed effectively using budgeting apps and tools, and he specific mentions a tool that he likes right now. It's an awesome tool. It's investor.gov. They have a savings calculator, and they also have a compound interest calculator. Have we convinced you to take the step towards being debt-free? What would your first step be? What would your budget look like right now? And based on the information in today's podcast, what can you do to make it optimally effective? Come let us know in the community Facebook group or shoot me an email at ryan at financialresidency.com. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, since Dr. Fawcett's show last week, I had more of you reach out to me to do an on-air financial health assessment. Because as many of you know, or may not know, I've been thinking about doing a second financial residency show during the week where I respond to what you've submitted. The main show will still release on Monday, but it looks like we might be adding a Friday show. I'd love to have additional financial health assessments to do. So if you're interested, go to financialresidency.com slash form to submit your info. I'd love to do an assessment for you. Not sure how long we're going to be doing them. So make sure you go check out that link and follow the instructions. I am super pumped that you decided to take some time out of your day to listen to me just yap about finances. It's my passion and I know I'm pretty nerdy about it, but this information is for you and I'm just happy to be the messenger. While I'm honored to have you here with me, I can't give you any specific advice to your exact financial situation through the show. So please consult an attorney, a CPA, or shoot, reach out to me, a fee-only financial planner, before you go and make any big money decision. It's just the smart thing to do. Next week, we have a really fun show planned with someone who is amazing. She's our biggest fan, forced fan really, who is always happy to help with giving feedback from a quote-unquote doctor's perspective. If you haven't guessed it already, then I guess you're gonna have to wait and see. I think you guys are gonna really like the show. Have a great week. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.